being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, Colossians 1, for those of you who might have forgotten, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Last time we talked about the endurance and the patience, uh, but I, it says with joy. <laughs> endurance and patience with joy. We've not been called into a life of drudgery. We've not been called into a life of obligatory robotic endurance to a set of commands that are boring and disinteresting. We've been called into a life with joy at the center of what it is. We've been called to a life, and the word joy is not Christian speak for something that's non-emotional. I've had, I'm so tired. I've heard that my whole Christian life. That happiness and joy are different things. And technically that's true because happiness is the word makarios, which is the word blessing or blessed. Which is also biblical. And joy is really, really deep happiness and pleasure and satisfaction and excitement in the goodness of God. But the word joy is not just used to talk about God. You can be joyful over a great many things that happen in your life. I think that the distinction between joy and happiness that Christians have made historically has been more about making an excuse for our lack of joy than for an actual invitation to enter joy. Does that make sense? If we can say, well, joy and happiness aren't the same things, then we can sidestep whether or not we actually have joy. Look, if you... A non-Christian can look upon your life and tell you whether you have joy or not, right? But by clever definition. So the kind, yes, we're called to endurance, you know, endurance. The need for endurance and patience implies that this life we're called to involves hardship and difficulty and suffering and setbacks and oppositions. Correct, Right? So nobody needs to even talk to us about endurance and patience unless there's something we're having to endure that's not pleasant. No one ever has to talk to us about patience unless there's opposition and discomfort that we have to, that we have to in our hearts, be willing to pay the price for, right? So we saw last time the difference between endurance and joy is, is very significant. Endurance is sort of your capacity to keep going, but patience is an inner attitude of the heart that refuses to become entitled, Uh, patience is that inner attitude of the heart that says, I refuse to say, I can't take it anymore. Oh, I'm willing to take more. That's the essence of patience. Patience is a calmness in the face of provocation. Patience is a, a, a heart that says, yeah, this, this is the price, and I'm okay with paying this price because I see a bigger picture than this moment. I see a bigger picture than how long this has gone on already. Patience says, I'm going to keep staying the way that I am. 
and I'm okay with this. Endurance is the keep going, but the patience is the inner attitude of saying, yeah, I'm willing to pay this price. Uh, another word for pay, and the patience is it's, it's really interesting here. It's sometimes rendered long-suffering. If, if, I made a, if I made up an English word to describe what patience is, it's, uh, uh, <laughs> it's got to somehow involve the word anger. Because when patience runs out, anger shows up. When mistreatment and setbacks come and anger comes out, that's the essence of not patience. When setbacks and provocation and opposition come and you, have no, you don't have anger, there, now there's patience. Okay, but with joy, endurance and patience with joy. I mean, you could say, oh, Jesus, are you serious? You could view this as like a command or a rule that we are called to live by. Not only is he requiring endurance and patience for me, he's requiring joy. Or you could view it as, no, 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 this is what Paul's praying. Remember, this is a prayer that as we, as we receive the spiritual, spiritual insight and understanding and we discern what actually pleases the Lord and as we walk in, in fellowship with Jesus and as we, as we develop this lifestyle where we're actually walking in God's paths and, and enjoying this union and communion with him, this is what will happen. It's really easy to turn promises in the scripture into laws in our minds. And then try to fulfill them. It's real. Like we could look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We could look at those and we could turn them into a law. And then try to figure out whether we have it and then try to work on it. But the whole point of what Paul's saying is if we're in the flesh, we won't have those. And if we're walking in Christ, abiding in a place of faith and living by the Spirit. In other words, if we're under grace, we will have those. Not we should have those. We will have those. So what's the issue? What are you rooted in? So endurance and patience with joy is a byproduct. It's going to happen if we're rooted in the right things. Endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father... Uh, so, so, okay, so here's the deal. What, what, so then what do we do? where do we go when we find that we don't have patience with joy, when we don't have endurance and patience with joy? We got to go back to our heart again. I've just found this inconvenient truth over and over in my life that I cannot access Jesus except through the door of my heart. He dwells here. He has made my heart his permanent dwelling and he will never leave. But if I wish to commune with him, I've got to go inward. I'm still so rocked by the weekend we had with Derek. I, I, I've been processing it, and I've been re-listening to it, and I've been chewing on it slowly, working over some stuff in my heart and mind. And one of the major things that was Father Roman Braga, yeah, saying, saying that when we're, you know, when we're not in solitary confinement in prison, we have access to books. And so Christianity then becomes endless, ceaseless activity, things to occupy our mind. We're constantly putting things in front of our minds. And so we become people comprised of book quotations. Now, of course, he was writing that, he was saying that in the, in the mid-90s. If he were here today, he would say, we are ceaselessly feeding our, our brains information from Facebook and from Twitter and from Instagram and from websites and from text messages and from conversations with people. We are ceaselessly an active people filling our minds with distractions. 
we don't take the time to be silent and still and alone with Jesus so that our feelings and thoughts and sins and wounds and issues and idolatries and hangups can, can come to the surface and we can face them and, and deal with them in the presence of God. And it's like, no, just keep running. It's like, no, just, just keep running. Just cover as much ground as you can. It's like first thing in the morning, instantly, go right to social media, right? Just wake up, we turn over, we look at our phone, and we instantly start to consume something. It might not be social media for maybe it's the news. I don't know what it is for you. But for most of us, we, we, we religiously avoid ourselves. So, but what do you do when you find this bad fruit, the lack of endurance and patience with joy in your life? You have to, you have to, you have to look at it. Slow down, back up. What am I rooted in? And I know how this works. Our brains want to find someone else to blame. That's not us for the fruit we bear. And if we're smart and clever, and most of us are, and if we have any kind of understanding of psychology, and we're Americans, so most of us do, we have plenty of available terms and words and concepts at our disposal to blame shift. But the issue is always the root. The issue with the fruit is always the root. And I've just, God's got gateway in this weird season. Like he's called us to slow down and go to very basic truths and live those truths deeply. Some of us have such an amazing relationship with Jesus, but we're not letting it out because we feel bad that other people around us don't have the amazing relationship with Jesus we have. And so we actually hide the treasure that's in us. We pretend our lives are harder and worse than they are because we feel bad that other people don't access Jesus and see him and relate to him and commune with him in the beautiful, amazing, life-giving, profound, explosive, dynamic, um, like, ah, way that we do. And so we shut it down and hide it under a bushel basket because we don't want to wound someone around us because we don't understand that actually the way that they're going to get it is for us to let it shine. And transparently just let it be what it is. So we're managing people. Like we're, we manage people so often. We manage people so often. We restrain who we are to manage how we think they need us to be. There's just so much craziness we do to ourselves. We think it's love for other people. And it's actually spiritual warfare. It's actually listening to the flesh voices. But the word that God has for gateway right now is for us to slow down and, and like live lived realities, simple truths. Met, like let these simple realities of our walk with, the, with Jesus, let these simple realities of the gospel actually get in and shape the course of our lives. It's not trying to be deep. It's not trying to be profound. It's trying to have union with, we actually have union with Jesus. It's not trying to have union. We have union with Jesus. And so now let's walk in communion with Jesus and let the sweetness and the goodness that this thing is become our thing. That's it. And let him do his thing. It's, it's an interesting season we're in. It's an interesting season. 
Patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. Giving thanks to the Father. One of these, one of these marks of walking out God's will, one of these marks of walking out God's will is that our mouth is constantly thanking the Father. I feel like, I, I feel like the normal prayer life is not a prayer life of constantly asking for things. The normal prayer life is not a prayer life of, of running through lists. The normal prayer life is not a prayer life of what's wrong with, with the world. The normal Christian prayer life is a prayer life of constant thankfulness, recounting to God what, who he is, recounting to God what he's done, recounting to the Father what the gospel has achieved, recounting... and. And I'm not against thankfulness for what is going on in your life, the blessings in your life, but I'm less interested in you recounting the blessings in your life and I'm more interested in you recounting the blessings in the gospel because the blessings in your life are not guaranteed. They're guaranteed to not be permanent is what those are. And he hasn't promised those, but he has promised every spiritual blessing in Christ and you can't lose it. And no one can have better than you. No one has a better life than you if they're in Christ and you're in Christ. You didn't, no one has a better calling than you. No one has better gifts than you. No one's living at a better time in human history than you. And, and like when we get it, when we walk in this thing, when we get his perspective, when we're walking in this union with him and we're seeing this endless gratitude and thanks to the Father just comes out of us. And guys, if we're not there, if it's not coming out of us, we can choose to walk in it till it comes out of us naturally. We can choose. We can prime the pump. We can, we, can let our, we can let our will choose to start walking in what our spirit yearns for and thank him for, for, for who he is and for what he's like. We can thank him for who, he, who we are in him and for what he's done. And we can ask him, reveal more to me, Father. Give me more understanding of why I'm, I'm so in awe of you. I'm in awe of you. And all I know is just a drop, Father. I'm in awe of you, and all I know is just a drop. Pour some more understanding on me. Isn't it interesting? Like the, the Bible says some strange things that reveal that life's not about us. It says that he saved us so that we'd praise him. It says that we exist for the praise of his glory. That our function, that our purpose under, like all creation has a purpose. God didn't create anything on accident. And that humans exist to enjoy and declare God's good. It's so, like that's so basic. Constantly thanking the Father. Endurance and patience with joy Giving thanks to the Father, and I said this last time, giving thanks, you know, <laughs> complaining, complaining and grumbling are the praise and worship of hell, and they shift the atmosphere too. <clears throat> I remember being at Reach, and, oh man, this was, this was so gross. This, the, the speaker was saying, if you don't believe that praise and worship shifts the atmosphere, listen to what happens when I put Satan's name into these praise songs about Jesus. Oh, I know. See? Yeah, Lydia, exactly. That face you just made, we all said, don't do that. But he did it. And then he just read the lyrics. And everyone in the room was like, Aah! and we all wanted to instantly fix it. Y'all are grossed out just hearing me say that, right? Yeah. 
And yet, we often hear praise and worship with, an, with, a, with our own heart of sort of cynicism. Not understanding that even, even the song on the radio without human hearts like going like this to it is irritating and grating and toxin-inducing in the hearts of demons everywhere. I find it helpful to realize that the grumbling, complaining, and the slander and the accusation on our mouths to heaven and the angels of heaven and the saints of heaven has the effect of how all of us were affected thinking about a worship song to Satan. If you are a saint... Grumbling and complaining, you need to, we need to understand grumbling and complaining as a serious sign that our souls are in trouble. Amen. And I'm not preaching to the children alone. I'm preaching to the parents mostly. <laughs> My cousin Jeremy had a couple in his church that had some problem children. And they were constantly needing advice for their problem children. So he sent the couple, not the children, for a week of inner healing prayer in Colorado. In which they didn't talk about the children. They came back and they said, we don't understand it, but the children have totally changed. Doesn't the thing you do irritate you more than just about anything else when someone else does it, but you didn't notice you'd do it? I had one person accuse me so many times of, manipul of being manipulative. And I'm not. I have no desire to control anyone. Because Romans 2 says the thing that you're guilty of is the thing you're going to condemn in other people. Uh, interesting like that, right? It, to the pure, all things are pure. But if you're not pure, you're going to see sin everywhere. You know why Jesus doesn't have a hard time loving people? He sees righteousness everywhere. I'm not claiming he doesn't hate sin. He does. But because he's not in sin, he's not tripped up by your sin or fooled. So when he sees you, he sees past sin to the real you. And he's about uncovering and bringing forth the real you because he's not tripped up. But much of the time, we are tripped up by each other thinking it's on the other. But it's actually something in us. I've been saying this, and I've been thinking this, and I've been praying this, and I've been applying this to myself. What offends me reveals me. What brings out bad stuff out of me less than love exposes me, not the one who provoked me. I just love the story. The, the wife goes to the pastor and says, my husband just pushes all my buttons. Can you pray for him? And he said, well, let's pray. Father, I ask you to remove all her buttons. 
That's the right person to pray for. Jesus stands and looks at a rich young man who says, hey, I've done everything that I can possibly do. What else can I do to be fit for the kingdom of heaven? And he says what? You're so close. Just, you know, get rid of everything you own. The young man went away sad. Why? I want all this, though. Why can't I have all this? No, that's the main thing you need to give up. That thing you don't want to surrender to the Lord is the main thing you need to surrender to the Lord. That person, that person that you can't go a day without praying for and interceding for and you're weeping over. And because here's the point of the story I'm telling you. Jesus, it said, looked at him and loved him. And then he went away and Jesus didn't chase him down. Jesus let him go, make his choice. And then Jesus went home and slept. Jesus had healthy boundaries. That story freaked me out years ago when I realized that what, what, I, what I would do, I'd be like, okay, okay, well, let's start small. Just, just sell some of your possessions. Let's just maintain a connection. Because if you turn and go away, then you're totally lost. But if we just, let's, let's manage this thing. Let's find a way to manage this. Don't feel, no, 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 I'm sorry, I said it. I, 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 I feel bad for even saying it. I shouldn't have even brought it up. I probably overstepped a boundary. Jesus is not an enabler. He's not an enabler. I have no idea how I got there. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you This is the same Greek word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians where he says that God has made us competent as ministers of the new covenant. Competent. Qualified is probably not the right word. God has made us fit. God has um, enabled us. God has empowered us. Paul knew he was fit as a servant of the new covenant. He knew he was competent. He knew he was capable. But he also knew that his competence didn't come from him. He knew that he was weak, but God in him was, was strong. He knew that he didn't have the answers, but the Holy Spirit would empower him to have the right words at the right time. He knew that he was susceptible to temptation, but the Holy Spirit was capable of leading him all his days until he arrived home safe in glory. He knew that he wasn't the answer, but that he had Jesus in him, and Jesus was his answer. God has made him competent as a minister of the new covenant. And this verse uses the same word to say that God the Father, God the Father has made you and I fit to walk out our calling, to walk out the inheritance of the saints in light. God has made you fit, made you competent. Not you, but, and then this next little Greek phrase, share in the inheritance. It means your portion of the ancestral Ah, the only word that's coming to me is inheritance. Allotment. The picture is when the 12 tribes of Israel 
When God divided up, stay with me, when God divided up the promised land, give it the, the land promised to Abraham, then they grew into a mighty nation, and then later they finally came back to that land and received it under Joshua. And they took the land that was promised to Abraham and they divided it into portions and assigned one portion to each of the tribes. Who's with me? That's this phrase. A share is a portion of the inheritance. And it's God who has qualified you to dwell in the land that belongs to you, not by virtue of you earning it or getting it, but by virtue of you belonging to the people of God who are in covenant with God. This word inheritance cuts against the grain of any kind of individualism. I know we all, I think we kind of get that an inheritance isn't earned. We Protestants, I think we get that, right? We didn't earn this, this life that we receive in Jesus. It's a gift. It's all grace. They didn't build the homes. They didn't plant the vineyards. They didn't cultivate the fields. God actually left the enemies in the land in order to make sure there were houses and beehives and vineyards and, and fields already and waiting for his people so that when they showed up, the whole thing would be grace. And notice this. I, I know that the, you know, crossing over the Jordan and entering into the promised land, his, in our hymns, historically, we have, we have viewed that Jordan as, as, as the passage over into heaven. The Jordan River is the crossing over through death and then that promised land is heaven when we die. And I, as much as I love that reality, that's not what it's talking about. The promised land is now. It's for now. Yep. We're to take the land now. Yep. We're, to, we're to walk in the inheritance of the saints now, the people of God, now. And it's God who's given us what we need to take our place and live it out in this world now. Not pie in the sky and the sweet by and by, which I enjoy and look forward to. But now. And this word inheritance is a corporate word. It means we're a part of a family. Amen. It means that we're a part of a family lineage. We draw our identity from our communities. Look at high school kids. Look at junior high school kids. It's the first thing they do. They clump. They clump by clothing and music and culture and stereotype because they're just like you and me. They're profoundly insecure. And just like you and me, they don't have a freaking clue who they are. And they're terrified that somebody will notice. So they clump. And the Bible says that intuition to clump actually comes from this deep, deep, like ancient place. We were made to belong to a community. We were made to belong. We were made to show up and have the community name us. And give us a sense of value and give us a purpose and explain to us our values and how we do things. We were made to be named by others. And the, the Father has given us an inheritance. It's not an individual word, is it? It's a corporate word. 
It's for the saints. From, it's, we have a part in this people of God, the covenant people of God. And yes, it's grace. And grace is not the opposite of effort. It's the opposite of earning. But it's also a word that just cuts across the grain of the American individualism. Of it's all about me and my performance and I get better. You know, you know how hard it is to live in community? And everyone thought quietly, yeah. <laughs> because we want to gather around our strengths, don't we? But the reality is we gather around our weaknesses. We gather around a table where Jesus' weakness touches our greatest points of need and weakness. And that's the basis of our unity and connection. Not our giftedness, not our intelligence, not our beliefs that we all hold and agree on. I used to think that. I used to think that you gather with believers whose beliefs you agree on. That's clever and funny, right? It's, a, it's an interesting experiment. It's led to thousands and thousands of splinter groups of Protestant believers. <laughs> Isn't it weird that the oldest Christian groups that actually gather around their need of Jesus instead of their beliefs, they don't tend to just like keep giving birth to more and more splinter cells, but we do. <laughs> Maybe they're on to something, y'all. And I'm all for like serve as the Holy Spirit's gifted you. Yes, 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 do that. But you know what would be an interesting experiment? What if we let people serve Sometimes I, just, just be honest with me. Don't you feel like sometimes Jesus has given you an assignment tailor-made to be too hard for you so that you'll learn to depend on him? Raise your hand if you think that has happened to you. That he's tailor-made assignments big enough that you have to depend on relationship with him. That he's not called you to what's possible with your strength and wit and ability and gifting, but he's called you to something greater than you could possibly do, but you can do it if you learn to walk by faith. And guess what else he's done? He's called you to something harder than you can do alone. Because our healing is connected to each other. Inheritance of the saints in light. Look at all these. If you look up, if you do a study on light in the New Testament, you will find you will find a connection between walking in the darkness, meaning, one of the church fathers said, we can go to hell alone, but we will not go to heaven alone. Let me, let me rephrase it. We fall alone, but we rise together. Jesus said it this way. Those who are in the dark hate the light and they refuse to come into the light because they will be exposed. Guys, this is why we run away from church. I'm not saying people who have left our church are doing this. In fact, I have nothing I'm saying right now relates to that. I'm talking, I just don't want you to hear what I'm saying through that lens. Are you tracking with what I'm saying right now? I'm talking about generalized humans on planet earth including you and me, and the dynamic of us to want to hide from each other. Because I want you to think well of me and I want you to like me. 
But that's not what I need. You know what I need? I don't, I don't need you to think well of me and like me. Do you know what I really need from you? I need you to see me as I am and love me. And unless I expose the stuff that's weak in me, I can never trust the love you're showing me is real. And I've learned this over and over. We say we know God's forgiveness and love for us. Don't step on that. June and I just fixed those the other night from people stepping on them and breaking them and then they fall down into the stage. Confessing things, confessing your sins before the church. And I don't mean the whole church. But confessing your sins to real live believers who you look in the face and you tell them is... Do you know how many revivals have been started by that alone? Because there's, our whole Christian life is light. In, in God, there's no... Light and darkness is talking about sin and righteousness. Other way around. Righteousness and sin. Light is righteousness. Darkness is the place where sin grows. It's, it's just like in the natural, man. If you could get sunlight down into your crawl space, you could kill that black mold. You could kill that fungus. You could kill that stuff. There's, there's ultraviolet radiation in sunlight. It bleaches and it kills and it sterilizes. I had, a, I had a roommate in college that never washed his basketball shorts. He hung them out the window and the sunlight washed them. And you say, nasty. And I say, well, it worked. They never smelled. Of course, I didn't get super close to them, but, but I mean, it was a small room. I would have known. What we bring out into the light The Lord's light cleanses and forgives and it deals with what I was talking about earlier. It deals with something that's deeper than did you do it or not, the guilt. It deals with the part that actually deeply affects our lives, the shame. The guilt of a thing can create a shame stain or an imprint on our mind, on our heart, on our soul that causes us to walk with such a limp, so much fear. It can affect us in ways we don't even know about. Yesterday, somebody told me, a, no, it was two days ago, somebody told me a story about how they were deeply resentful toward their spouse. Didn't want them to touch them. But they didn't know why. It was just this vague feeling. I, they don't, I don't know why. Just get away from me. Don't touch me. And all of a sudden, they said, wait a minute. What is causing this? And the Lord took their brain back to some sexual sin that in their mind had nothing to do with the spouse. I just read those books I shouldn't have read. No, there's nothing to do with them. They confessed it. They repented of it. They told that spirit to go, and suddenly their affection for their spouse returned, and they could touch, and there was no real resentment. Guys, there's a realm we don't talk about. There's a realm, and sometimes it's eating our lunch. It's keeping us from the inheritance. It's letting the enemies into our promised land. It's spoiling the vineyards, and there's broken down the wall. We're not talking about it. Do you know what I'm talking about? I've gone too long. Let's stop. Let's stop. Want to wor- worship team? Why doesn't the prayer team come on up here? There's obviously more. We're not done with these verses. But look at how cool the Father is, man. The Father delivered you from the domain of darkness. The Father transferred you into the kingdom of his dear and beloved Son. 
The father's the one who did this. You didn't do it, the father did it. The father gave you an inheritance among his people, a promised land you didn't earn. And the father made you a part of a people to whom you belong, a people with a long ancient history that we can explore and live up and live in and live out. We can know who we are. And the father gave you a people who have a destiny and who have a calling. The father did all that. You didn't do that. I didn't do that. This church didn't do that. Our denomination didn't do that. The father did all that. The father did all that. Stan, you got something? So as Tim was, Tim was talking, um, if you're in the dark, um, God will turn the light on. And when the light comes on, the whole room lightens up. And you can't be in the dark and alone anymore. So if you're in the dark and you're alone, come out into the light and, and be together. Go ahead and stand. Go ahead and stand. Duh. <laughs> Sounded like I just said Stan's name one more time is what I was saying. Why are y'all hiding over in the side? This morning I heard the Lord say, when we were doing pre-service prayer, I heard the Lord say, um, deep calls to deep. And I heard the Lord say, union and communion. And so I want to pray those things over us. Now may the God who sent Jesus, that great, that great shepherd and overseer of our souls, may he grant you union with his son and communion with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit this week, this week, this week. Amen. Amen.